I'm Steven Seagal. Don't piss me off because I'll tighten my girdle and kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> I read that too. They had to wear a girdle in the movie because it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, if I, if I, if I was going to be in an action movie right now, I'd have to go and get myself a girdle too. So <laughs> I, I, I can't say I complain. Welcome, everyone, to the Electric Boogaloo Podcast, the show where we expertly navigate the cinematic universe, jumping over the original to dive deep into the world of sequels. Have you ever stumbled upon a sequel of one of your beloved classics? You examine the movie details, ready to embark on a cinematic journey, only to be met with disappointment as you find the sequel pales in comparison to the original. Or do you discover a sequel outshines the original? While we review these movies that perhaps were better than the original, or maybe should never have been made. I'm your host, Scott, and as always by my side, my trusted movie companion, the man who thought that Empire Strikes Back was just meh, my co-host, Brad. Brad, how are you, sir? And I, I often find that to be the case in, in sequels. The second one, I often find meh. Um, and I still stand by that opinion. Well, there are some sequels that you and I can both attest to that I think we would say we were better than the original. Maybe. <sighs> well, okay, yes. Yes, usually I will. I don't know. For some reason, for me, I expect this. If, if, if they wind up being good enough and you get to more than one, I'll think the second one rarely outshines the first. And then the third one, generally is better than the second one really not oh. necessarily always true but that's just kind of the way that i see things that go more than two okay well so in my thoughts that i'm i'm, I'm i've got an idea foaming in the head. Foaming in the head. Uh, i think that it would be i could pick one movie which i think we should do even though it was an extremely popular uh sequel i won't mention it to the crowd or to the audience, but I'm going to say that I bet you you could think in your head exactly what I'm thinking. And that didn't make any sense anyway, but I'll try to say it again. I think that there is a sequel that you and I have seen that we definitely think that it was better than the original. Um, it's in your head. We're going to cover it. I guarantee it. People will love it. But on today's episode, we're going to take a deep dive scene by scene, sort of into the 1995 hit movie sequel Under Siege 2 Dark Territory starring Steven Seagal. Uh, firstly, Brad, you're going to hit us with all the deets. What's up with this movie? Well, number one, I don't think I would call it a hit movie. Um, I don't know. I think it did pretty well at the box office. It did. It did. It was no, it was no Under Siege. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact... I guess I shouldn't go into any of this stuff yet. Sorry. Um, starring Steven Seagal and nobody that anybody cares about. What about Eric Bogosian? What about Catherine Heigl? What about Morris well, Chestnut? Exactly. They all, Catherine Heigl, obviously famous now. She was on Grey's Anatomy, et cetera. And then Morris Chestnut, he was great as Bobby the Porter. Well, yeah, I, I I don't know that I would agree with anybody else famous in it. Eric Bogosian, on the other hand, was a little disappointing. I actually thought his career was going to go far better than it did. 
That may um, be a case of having a bad agent. You never know. It's it's quite possible. You know, the first movie I saw him in, um, what was it? It was talk radio and it was directed by Oliver Stone. Yep. Great and movie. I thought that was a fantastic film based on a play that Bogosian wrote and turned it into a movie. It was great. And then um and then like, you know, eight years later he's he's starring in the sequel to a Steven Seagal movie. <laughs> Which is usually career suicide for most actors. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> well uh, let's go through one, who directed it, who not <laughs> who directed it, who produced it. Let's get through those deets. Well, we've got the um <laughs> the heck is the guy's first name? Murphy? Jeff Murphy. <laughs> Jeff Murphy, Christ, I forgot what his name was. <laughs> um, I thought, of course, I think a lot of people forgot what his name was, too. That's terrible. I shouldn't say that. Poor Jeff. <laughs> <clears throat> Although one of the writers, this was originally a script. It wasn't supposed to be a sequel at all. Um, but they brought in a couple of different writers to, to rejig it into a script for this. And one of those writers was Matt Reeves. Okay, who's Matt Reeves? Um, Matt Reeves was a buddy of J.J. Abrams. Grew up making films together. Um, Matt Reeves was tapped to make Cloverfield. He did the uh, the two most recent Planet of the Apes movies, The Dawn and the Planet of the Apes War. And you may have heard of a movie called The Batman. Oh, yeah, okay. I gotta so tell he's you, actually done quite well for himself. Okay, so let me ask you a quick question before we dive into Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. Do you think that The Batman should be considered a sequel, or is it a reboot, or like, are we allowed to um, cover that on the show? I consider it its own movie. Okay, so we can't cover The Batman, but can we do Batman Forever, Batman Begins, or anything like that? I mean, we can do the Planet of the Apes movies. We could do any one of them. Yeah, that's true. I don't know that I would go for the original ones. I would prefer to go for the newer ones. Oh, you mean, are you talking about like the Charlton Heston versions? Yeah, no, I don't want to go for the Charlton Heston versions. No, you um, want to go into the Andy Circus ones. Right. I uh, don't want to do the um, the dreaded Tim Burton, Mark Wahlberg. That was terrible. Yeah. That was terrible. So, no. All right, well, let's get into some reviews of Under Siege 2 Dark Territory. What's the IMDb saying? Because as as everybody knows who's listened to the show, we don't worry about what the um, critics have to say. We only care about what people have to say. It's true. It's yeah. true. There is actually one that I found on here that I, I do pretty much agree with this one, um, written by Anonymous. So it could be by me. <laughs> given a six, given a six out of ten, not as bad as you would think. I seem to remember hating this movie when I first saw it. Uh, I watched it again yesterday, which I also did. So was this and you? And I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. This shows how much your opinion can change over time. And that's all I'm going to say for that review. Some of these reviews are quite long. Uh, one of the reviews that I noticed was, um, by I M S I M I'm C G I M S E E G. This is from April 2nd, 2019. 
dumb remake in quotes of Die Hard on a train. How about saying that it was a dumb remake of Under Siege on a train? Because it's the same. But it says, but he says it's, uh, but uh, unintentionally very funny and full of gung ho action scenes. Good fun anyway. Now this individual also went to call the lead uh, actor in the movie George Siegel, who we know is a different actor. So they just completely negated their opinion. Uh, George Siegel is going to conquer some bad guys on a train who want to destroy the world. Yay. The best boo movies are those which originally were meant to be taken seriously. You know how many of the user reviews I saw that said that it was die hard on a train? You know, I don't understand why that got stuck with die hard. Why die hard? I don't know. I mean, how many movies before die hard had, had a one man wrecking crew in them? Like, has anybody ever seen a Bruce Lee movie or Chuck Norris movie or a Clint Eastwood movie? Yep. I mean, it wasn't Die Hard that pioneered one-man action movie. No, not at all. But since we are stuck like, stuck with that, okay, so you've got one guy out of his element fighting terrorists. Yes. Um, in an Under Siege 2, we have one guy, I won't call him out of his element because he's a Navy SEAL, um, fighting terrorists. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, no, not Die Hard. No, not Die Hard on a Train. It's actually Under Siege on a Train because Under Siege, the original, was on a boat. Correct. Now, before we go into Under Siege 2, dark territory, let's talk a little bit about the original because I I didn't see any other really funny uh, reviews or anything like that. So let's talk about what did you think about the original? Loved it. Thought it was great. Easily, easily, well... You know what? No, not easily, but one of Seagal's best movies. I think so too. Not well, we'll get into our we'll get into uh, our ratings for the movies for the original and the sequel when we get to the scale. Uh but comparably speaking, I think that they it it is reasonably close to the original. Um do me a favor when you get a sec. Look, let's look at the uh well, let's look at it this way. On a budget of $60 million, it made a worldwide gross of $104 million. Probably one of his most successful movies. Yeah, that's not terrible. Now, what did he do with Under Siege? Under Siege made more than that. I can't remember what it was. I'm just bringing it up right now. Under Siege, the original with Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey. And quite, you know, this was Steven Seagal's moment to become a main like main actor what's the word i'm looking for like a, a starring actor because guys like yeah it turned it turned him into a star gary Busey and tommy lee jones in a movie with him cole mm-hmm. meany like honestly uh that oh uh, well under siege made 156 million worldwide gross so not as much but still to rack in 109 million dollars on a sequel is pretty good it is it is I mean, Under, Under Siege 2 didn't quite have the star power, um, but Under Siege itself didn't really have the star power either. I mean, yes, Gary Busey was a lot more popular back then. Um, Tommy Lee Jones, now Under Siege came out in 1992. Tommy Lee Jones starred in The Fugitive in 1993. 
Oh, you so know what? Tommy, I didn't so even Tommy think about Lee that. Jones was not. He wasn't was not really, who he is when he was in Under Siege. He wasn't Academy Award winning <clears throat> actor, Tommy Lee Jones. No. Oh, okay. That that puts it into a whole other perspective. But Gary Busey, very well known. Gary oh, Busey absolutely. actually says that Under Siege, the original movie, made or revived his career. Yeah. And did you know, actually, I was reading some information on Under Siege 2. Did you know that Gary Busey was actually originally cast to play Eric Bogosian's character of Tyler Dane? I do. And he had an escape, well, not an escape clause, but he had a clause in his contract that it pay or play. And they had to pay him $750,000 to not be in the movie. That's a pretty nice payday, if you ask me. Busey famously, um, what does it say here? Oh, and apparently the $750,000 came out of Seagal's pocket, which meant yes, that he was, he was really pissed off. He was really pissed off at, uh, at John Peters. John, John Peters, yeah. who hired Busey when, when Seagal wasn't around. Yeah. And just comes back and he's like, I, I, I blew him up in a submarine in the first movie. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. That was honestly no. a bad mistake by John Peters. Bad mistake. I'm... Steven Seagal, don't piss me off because I'll tighten my girdle and kick your ass. Yeah, I read that too. They had to wear a girdle in the movie because it was good. <laughs> I mean, listen, if I, if I, if I was going to be in an action movie right now, I'd have to go and get myself a girdle too. So <laughs> I, I, I can't say I complain. Maybe that's why he walks so funny. There's a couple of scenes <clears throat> in the movie that we'll go through where he when he's fighting uh what's the character's name give me one second when he's uh, F- fen fen or i can't remember the guy's name everett mcgill is the actor the mercenary yes. marcus um the mercenary what's his last name in the show in the movie uh, marcus yeah, penn marcus penn he throws Pen. him across the train and then he has this kind of weird walk where he like wiggles his fingers and he's like He's kind of like, <laughs> my arms are really straight. I can't bend my arms. It was kind of weird. Maybe it was the girdle. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe it was the girdle. Maybe it was. But Marcus Penn, um, Everett McGill, great job in his character. Oh, uh, he was fantastic. He was, I loved him. He was. Actually, I was thinking about who gets a throat punch in this movie. I'm going to say that Marcus Penn, played by Everett McGill, does not get a throat punch in this movie. Uh, I, I, uh, no, I know who I would throw punch. Okay. We'll get to that. Okay. I'll, we'll, we'll get to that part of the movie where we're going to talk about who gets a throat punch or not. Uh, but first, are you ready to jump on the continental railroad and take our journey into dark territory? Are you ready, Brad? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Let me just bring up my, damn it, bring up my notes. Scene one. Here we go, Brad. We're ready to go. Scene one. We see the space shuttle is making its way into space to drop a payload, which is the Grazer 1 spy satellite, and deployed on its maiden voyage. We find ourselves uh, in secret mission control with the world's worst smoker, Tom Breaker. Um, I'm just going to start out by saying, I like the actor. Uh, what is his name? Uh, he oh, is... Nick Mancuso. Yeah. Yeah. So worst smoker. The guy doesn't know how to smoke. I don't know why they made him a chain smoker. He did it in under siege as well. 
Um, doesn't know how to hold a cigarette. Clearly not a smoker. Um, somebody should have taught him how to do that. <laughs> That's for sure. Now I have two people for a throat punch. Uh, well, Tom Breaker gets every throat punch in every, you know, Casey Ryback movie. Now, here's the, um, do you recognize the general? General Cooper, do you recognize that actor? Uh, yes. Uh, I can't remember what his name is. Kurtwood yes, Smith. Kurtwood, the Kurtwood Smith. Yeah, That's played right. Red Green on that, or Red Green, oh, Red Foreman on that 70s show. He did red green and somebody different too. <laughs> That's the Canadian thing. Red green. Uh, we and he was in the RoboCop. He was. He, he played was a bad fantastic guy in, RoboCop. in RoboCop. Oh yeah, I love Kurt Woodsmith. That guy's a great actor. Uh, he is. Now, however, NASA thinks that it's a weather satellite, and of course, because it's the early ninety mid nineties, uh, and we have a billion dollar satellite being used. We are actually brought to the part where they're testing the satellite's capabilities by zooming in on a girl's boobs. <laughs> totally unnecessary scene would never happen in today's movie climate, but typical mid nineties, you got to have some guy and he's like, clean it up, clean it up. Let's get it out of here. Now, what I, people, I, I, I appreciated that scene. <laughs> well, that's like an Under Siege, the original. You get to see Erica Leniak's boots. Yes, 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 you do. Yeah, beautiful girl. Um, let's jump into scene two. Uh, in typical Steven Seagal fashion, we have the turn and face the camera to introduce him into the movie. Uh, we uh, are met with Casey Ryback, the star of the movie, and we learn that he's lost his brother and has, had to, and has to escort his niece to her new home. Insert an awkward moment with his niece, Sarah. We also meet Bobby the Porter, played by Morris Chestnut. Coincidentally, also on the train are two satellite techs, Captain Gilder and Captain Trelling, who we meet in the secret mission control, who are enjoying a clandestine rendezvous aboard the train. At the same time, however, a group of unknown mercenaries break into an army base to steal some helicopters. One thought about that scene did they really need to shoot all those guys? Like they just walk in and just like take Uzis to these guys. Did they really well, yeah, need that, to do that? Well, that was absolutely necessary because uh, violence. Well, that's and, the thing. But I, Steven I, Seagal movie. I didn't like it. I just thought it was unnecessary. You've got the guy. There's a guy in the movie. I'm, I, I don't I have him up on my IMDb. You know, the guy, he's got a cloudy eye. And he shoots, he shoots a guy either on the train or at this army base where they're stealing some helicopters to be able to get to the train. Yes. He has a mustache. He looks like a guy for, uh, who was in a um, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. I think it was Commando. Do you remember the I guy? Know, that I, I'm I know about? the guy. I remember the cloudy eye guy. But yeah, I, and he had I, like I an Australian accent or something. I couldn't tell you who he is or what his character's name was. Yeah. Well, Captain Gilder and Captain Trelling, what a coinky-dink. Steve happens to be getting on this train that they're on as well. What a coincidence. But that's I mean, the you know, magic as far of as 90s plot movies. Points, as far as plot points go, um, having a dead brother, I suppose, is you know one way to throw him on that train. Yes, just such a coincidence that it happens to be the same train that the two techs who have the only two passwords to break into Grazier One's satellite system happen to be on the train as well. But 
Uh, that's a ridiculous point on my part because that's how you make movies. Just bad luck. Yeah. So we've met Steve and st- we've met Steve's character, Casey Ryback, who we all know from Under Siege 1. Uh, we have an opportunity to see the awkward moment between him and his niece, which is um, building some kind of animosity between them so that eventually by the end of the movie, they're going to be the best of buddies. It was awkward. I, I love Morris Chestnut's character, Bobby. Uh, he's he's the comic relief of the movie but he i just absolutely love him i think he's hilarious uh you get to see the scene where he uh he gets he gets flipped on his ass by um who did Catherine heigl play what was her name sarah something ryback it was sarah uh, ryback so sarah flips him on his ass and oh i learned that from my uncle a long time ago and we realized that that was uncle casey that taught her that yeah, I don't think it is always necessary to insert comic relief into action films. Although we'll get to another scene and, where there was worth it with Morris Chestnut's character, Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, get to, we'll get to that point uh, <laughs> in a few scenes. But um, comic relief, was it needed? I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying the original Under didn't really have it. didn't have a ridiculous comic relief character, and it made more money. So if you go by that, Morris Chestnut cost this movie $50 million. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I think. I don't know. I, you know what? It, it, he was an unknown actor at the time. And now he's like super, super famous. He's done a ton of stuff. Uh, I quite like him. He doesn't get a throat punch from me. Uh, I mean, he did well, you know, in his career, considering that he cost this movie $50 million. Um, <laughs> but it was... The unnecessary, you know, I, I'm I'm your funny buddy. I mean, you know, there are movies that do that very well, but that's the entire point. But well, that yeah. when there was there was just a whole point there where they started introducing these unnecessary uh, characters. Well, here's the thing: because Sarah is being held hostage. Uh, and she's stuck in the last car of the train. I think what the attempt was with this movie was to have it be a, like a, a side, he have him be a sidekick. You know, he teaches him how to hold a gun. He teaches him how to fire it. You know, it's one of those things where I think they tried to do kind of a lethal weapon-ish type of thing or just have some kind of comedic sidekick. And it it didn't work for me, but I love his character. Uh, he's also quite instrumental towards the end of the movie, but I think that it it didn't kind of jive as far as the whole you know good cop sidekick cop type of type of situation for me. I didn't quite like no. it. No, no, it's just Steve did it a few times after this, and I didn't like it. Oh, he did it with um, in the Glimmer Man. He did it with Keenan uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans. He tried mm-hmm. to do it. Tom Arnold tried to do it with him in Exit Wounds. Right. Uh, very they, formulaic, um, though. Like, it, it's in a lot. It's in a ton of movies. But at this particular attempt, I think they fell short. They could have gone into it more or they could have paired it back. But I think we're going to find out later in the movie that Bobby is a bit of a hero, too. Yeah, he's a hero, but he still cost a movie $50 million. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Okay. Poor, poor Morris Chestnut. I wonder if you, you know, send him an email and say, Hey man, how does it feel to know you cost the movie 50 million bucks? 
All right, let's move to scene three. Mercenaries have hijacked the train. Bobby the Porter hides out and Casey throws a dude off the train, causing all of the cooks to be shot. Well done, Casey. Throws a guy out a door with a bunch of guys standing on the ground outside of the train with a whole bunch of automatic weapons. And a firefight ensues one-sided, of course. And all the cooks die. Well done, Casey. But, but you got to give Steve credit. He tried to save them because he said, get down. He said, get down. And then he ran away <laughs> because he was no longer in the car. Get down. and sh- Well, he didn't get down. He got out. <laughs> get down and get shot instead of getting up and running. As the mercenaries are uh, securing the train, Captain Tiller and Captain Gilder are found and held by our main antagonist, played by Eric Bogosian, Travis Dane. He tortures them for their access codes to Grazier 1. He then throws them off the train. Goodbye. I don't need them anymore. They can go. I love that line. I don't need them anymore. They can go. I, I don't know that I would consider it torture. They were they were threatened with torture. Well, they were with that? the whole burning of the eye, with the hot thing yeah, the from the boiling and yeah. the popping, and the it would have been a had they done it. Yeah, I you know I got to say if if you were doing what he had done to them, I I would um, tell you everything you wanted to know. Oh, for sure, and he he caves right away. She looks at him like he's a total dickhead, and then. She gives the code anyway, because she didn't know the most beautiful eyes in America is, is, uh, or one of the most beautiful eyes in the world. So, you know know what? Let's leave it at that. It's, it's, you've got to be able to do that in order to get them to give the codes. So he then throws them off the train, which I already said. Meanwhile, our, our hero, Casey Ryback has managed to avoid detection on a train whatsoever and is assessing the situation. Dane secures the security codes and gives an example of the power that Grazier One possesses, aside from seeing boobs. Uh, The ability to create earthquakes on the ground, and as we find out later, in the sky as well. He leaves the folks at Mission Control with the phrase, chance favors the prepared mind. He he does. He does. So in Mission Control, we we learn about who he is. He was a crazy, brilliant, I guess, scientist, inventor, engineer, whatever you want to call him, uh, fakes his own death. So we get that kind of explanation from uh, General Cooper um, and then enter in scene four, Admiral Bates and Captain Garza, who appeared in the original movie. Captain Garza, by the way, played by Dale Dye, an actual former U.S. Marine. Uh, He actually did the training of the actors on saving private Ryan. He was also in that. He has trained well. a lot of people. That guy, he is a, a lot of actors. And I got to tell you, I think he's actually a good actor. Now he's playing what he did for 35 years in the military. Yes. But he, he's, I, I actually quite like Dale die. He was one of my favorite. Oh, I'm actors. a big fan. I like him too. I think I first, I first noticed him in, um, outbreak. With Dustin Hoffman. Oh, that was the, yes. virus, the virus movie. With uh, Rene Russo and Cuba Gooden Jr. And the uh, Kevin Spacey. Yes, Kevin Spacey as well. So Admiral Bates and Captain Garza are appraised of the situation, saying, I thought we shut this program down. Uh, well, then uh, having another person fake their death, being the bad guy, uh, they realize that Travis Dane has now blown up as a demonstration a chemical weapons plant in china here's a little tidbit for you brad 
Did okay. you notice the quick cut yes, scene? Did. did you notice? On Deadly Ground. It was, that's right. It was from On Deadly Ground, another Steven Seagal movie that was actually Aegis One being destroyed at the end of that movie. If you haven't gone to see it, if you haven't seen it yet, folks, go uh, rent or find on, on Deadly Ground. Uh, one of Steven Seagal's probably last successful movies. He actually directed it uh, starring Michael Caine. Which is the movie that he did prior to Under Siege 2. Yeah. You know, that totally negates um, what I just said because I said it was probably the last successful movie that he did, but he did it before he did this, which grossed $109 million. So ignore what I just said. Forget it. Don't I listen to me. Do. I appreciate that. Let's move on to scene five. Actually, you know what? Let's insert a little thing here. Let's do um, throat punches. Who's getting a throat punch in this movie? Finish him. Um, okay. The smoker and the comic relief. Okay. You only get to pick one. One punch per person. One throat allowed. I'm not punching Morris. I'm not punching Bobby. I disagree. Oh, that's all oh, right. Well, you know what? You're smoking or you're, you're punching the smoker. I'm punching the comic relief. I don't need, we don't need to punch the poor smoker twice. Um, I'm going to, well, I was, I was thinking about picking Tom Breaker as a throat punch candidate. Oh, are you switching that now? I am actually. That's, terrible <laughs> okay here we go so as much as he looks like a likable character and he's not in it for very long what about um ryback's cook who actually finds the facts from his <laughs> newton what you want to you want to throat punch him i do only because dude you let the facts sit there while people were dying on a train like answer the fucking facts like what's your problem well, yeah, but he's making pies and things. That's important. All right. Okay. So you know, I, I'm giving it to. I'm giving my throw punch to Captain uh, Captain Trilling, played by David Giannopoulos. He just caved. He caved like a house of cards. He fell and he just he gave away his codes. And if you look, <laughs> if you look at uh, uh, Captain Gilder, just looks at him like you pussy. You don't give him the codes. Here's the code. He was just such a wuss. That's that's okay. So that's who's getting my throat punch. Uh, is, all right, is you know Captain what? Trilling. Then, uh, uh, all right. Well, if you're not going to do it, then I'm going to have to do it to Nick Mancuso for for the awkward, silly looking way that he smokes and holds a cigarette, and he just he, he looks he looks like a like it, it's like. It's like handing a cigarette to an orangutan and saying, <laughs> and saying figure out how to hold this thing. And, yeah. and it, it just, it didn't work. And I, I hated looking at him when he had a cigarette anywhere near his face. Yeah. And he's always the first guy because his characters always, and he did it in the first movie. He, he like when they think that the Pentagon is going to be blown up because Travis Dane has said, I'm going to blow up the nuclear reactor that's underneath the Pentagon, which you guys claim doesn't exist. He immediately gets on the phone. Everybody else is like, get rid of the president, get the vice president, get this and get that. He gets on the phone and says, honey, why don't you go visit your sister this weekend? As he's well, still smoking a terribly do. smoked cigar, cigarette. Yeah. I won't blame him for that because he was trying to save his kid. 
I'll just say he wasn't trying to save his wife. He was trying to save his kid. So you can't blame him. Yeah, true. But everybody else is being the hero and he's, you know, did exactly what he did in the first movie because he's selfish. Yeah. Well, he asks, he asks uh, Captain Gilder to go to some kind of like symposium with him that weekend. Little does he know that he, she's getting on a train to ride the train and ride Captain Gilder. You know, had, had she, had she not spawned his advances, the movie wouldn't have happened. Well, that's true. But we just find out what a dirtbag he is. So he is. All right. So he gets a throat punch as well. All right. Let's move on to scene five. Uh, Casey tries to get the radio at the front of the train and the, Oh, uh, I forgot to mention that Casey sends a fax through his Apple Newton. <laughs> um, this is pre Steve jobs getting back at Apple or being, being brought back to Apple. So, uh, he is able to, to get the power to turn on. He's able to high, high, hook it up to a phone and send a fax from it. That's pretty good modern technology for 1995, to be honest. It's, it's Steven Seagal. Yeah. Well, he's Casey Ryback. He can pretty much do anything. That's right. Well, he makes a bomb. He builds a bomb with a with a martini shaker and coconut oil. And and shards of glass. And lighter fluid as well. Yeah, I don't really I I think they skipped a few steps, but we'll go with it. Yeah. Uh, there was probably, and then he managed to get a pager on it when he throws it at the guy. <laughs> he throws it at the guy, and it beeps. And he look at the display on the pager, and it says, "You're fucked." Yes, you're fucked. Off we go. Uh, Although man. he didn't, he didn't actually call the pager. He just threw it, and it and it beeped. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how that worked, but that's definitely not how pagers work. I'm sure that some of our audience is like, "What's a pager? <laughs> What's an Apple <laughs> Newton?" <laughs> Okay, let's move on from the <laughs> I'm feeling old stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, as they, um, as one of, um, what is his, oh, I keep forgetting his name, damn. Um, as Penn, uh, Marcus Penn notices the light, he sends a guy down to uh, check on why the lights are still on because they had completely turned off all the power to the, to the train cars. They go into the manifest to find out who is this guy kicking everybody's ass in the background. And they look up his name in the man. Oh, somebody says Casey fucking Ryback is basically. Yep. And then Travis Dane says, who's Casey fucking Ryback? And they give his history as they do in every movie. Of course. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Where are we now, Brad? Uh, Casey's Newton facts makes it to his restaurant, even though. Uh, throat punch cook guy uh, takes forever to uh, to find it, and because he's baking pies, he, he but he he he's got the phone number and he gets through very quickly. Uh, in today's day and age, you would go through a thousand different menus and never get in. It's true. But they phone and say, and he says um, that Casey Ryback is on the train. Yes, and Admiral Garza and or Captain Garza and Admiral Bates say Casey Ryback's on this train. Casey Ryback's on this train. What's he doing on the train? Oh, I don't know. You can see Captain Garza go, what'd you ask me that for, you dumbass? <laughs> yeah, ask the director. I don't know. Yeah, why is he... Um, I don't know. He's on the train. It's it's uh, it's Casey Ryan. Because Ryback. it's he under can, yeah. siege, too. We're starring exactly. Steven Seagal. Yeah, so... <laughs> 
Casey's, um, the fax makes it while he's caused a distraction. Bobby steals the targeting CD out of Travis Dane's computer. Yes, the CD ROM. Yeah, and then Steve kicks some ass. You know, there was a lot of ass kicking in this movie. There was a lot of broken bones, knives, uh, sprains, breaks, necks, limbs. There was a lot. He he, and in such tight quarters too. At yes. least on a battleship, he had a ton of space. He uh, did, but that he must did. have been a real challenge to film that. Yeah, they I, managed to uh, actually do it in a studio too. Like they didn't actually have a like every single scene shot on a moving train. They did it in a studio. Yes, they actually use some new technology that's used in any movie today, uh, where they attached tennis balls to certain areas of the set, where they were able to then superimpose the background of the train, and it actually looked really quite real for 1995. To be honest, it was yeah, it was really well done actually. Yeah. Uh, they stop the train to find the uh, targeting CD because it looks like it was the porter. Now, one actor we got to mention in this movie, and I'm actually quite sad about his death, only because he didn't really get a chance to do anything. Steve just kind of like flips him over and breaks his neck. Uh, but that actor is Peter Green. Do you remember him? I like Peter Green. Yeah. Peter Green, who played the bad guy in The Mask with Jim Carrey. Yep. Uh, he doesn't he was, really... He was, he was Zed in Pulp Fiction. He was. Zed's dead. Zed's dead, baby. Uh, now, here's the thing with Peter Green's death, his, character, his character's death. Uh, he doesn't even get a chance to throw a punch at Steve uh, or Casey. Sorry, I should use the character's he, name. He doesn't even he get was, to throw he a was, punch. He, he was, literally just grabs him uh, as, as he's saying to Bobby... You know, you're a real pain in the ass. And, you know, Bobby looks over his shoulder and says, you want to help me out here? And Steve just grabs him, flips him on his face, and then, like, pulls his head backwards and cracks his dead. <laughs> Breaks his neck. Goodbye. That was a rotten, that was a harsh break. <laughs> like, that was harsh. I mean, it's Steven Seagal, and that's why you're watching the movie. That was, that was one of, you know what? I mean, out of all the, the knives and, and throat tearing and that it was just the, the sound effects for that. I thought that was one of the best deaths ever. It was, but I'm sad that he didn't even get a chance to fight and use any kind of skills. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. No, there were none. None. And just here, before, you're over <laughs> neck. Goodbye. So just before Bobby gets caught on the train, the train stops and we've got Casey hanging from a cliff and we've got Bobby running away from one of the guys with a gun. Here's the best line in the movie. The best line is the guy, the, the mercenary tells Bobby to freeze. Bobby freezes. He's like, give me the CD. And he reaches into his pocket. And he goes, oh, my God, it must have fallen out of my pocket. He goes, I don't got anything in my pocket, but your ass. And he uh, turns and shoots the guy. <laughs> Come on. The guy's a trained mercenary. And this kid's a porter. But <laughs> the only thing I got in my pocket is your ass. Best, best line in the movie. Yeah, it was good. I mean, it cost the studio $50 million, but it was a good line. I don't, it was worth it to get that line. And then he <laughs> yeah. just looks at the gun, surprised that he shot the guy. Yes, yes. <laughs> the mercenaries yes. managed to find the CD uh, somewhere under the train, and they're back up and running, uh, leaving Casey stuck on a cliff. 
that's a great scene actually where the guy comes down on the rope and he jumps from the cliff like he's on American Ninja Warrior and he comes off and grabs the guy and gives him like a whole bunch of shoulders and elbows and punches. I know I didn't think Steve had it in him to jump off of that cliff onto that rope. That was well done. Good on him. Yeah, good on you, Casey Ryback, showing his skills. He hot, Now, do you think that him being like left on the side of the road or well, side of the tracks? We think, oh, Casey's left behind. He's screwed. No, no, because it's Casey Ryback. No, Casey, Casey Ryback. Casey fucking Ryback. Well, do not leave him behind. No, he hot wires. A, he hot wires a pickup truck and drives along a perfectly by opening the hood and grabbing the only two exposed wires. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Casey uh, follows How a exactly perfectly he timed the hood road. Open? Uh, <laughs> I don't I know. know. He didn't even actually click the latch. He just it was open. I guess somebody was working on it, and he he's able to fix it that fast. I this that's like one of them stupid nitpicky things because it is. It's all about Steven Seagal stopping terrorists on a moving train. Yeah, just so, another yeah, just another challenge for Casey to overcome easily because he's Casey fucking Ryback. Uh, he gets on back on the train. Actually, this that was a pretty awesome thing where he jumps off the side of the cliff and onto the top of the train. Kudos to that stunt man because that looked real. That didn't look that looked practical. I, didn't look I worried for Steve when he made that jump. Yes, you mean Casey or the actual Steven Scott? I mean Steven Seagal. Well, he didn't, obviously I mean, it was him that made the jump. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. He had to tighten his girdle before he jumped off the cliff onto well, the top right. of a moving train. That's in right. Real he, just had, he just put a little more padding into the girdle before he made the jump. <laughs> well, as Casey gets back on the train, we shoot back to Captain Garza and Admiral Bates, who have decided that the best course of action is to, quote unquote, send in the bombers. Did they not learn from the first time they tried that? That somebody's going to have something up their sleeve, especially Travis Dane? Well, no, because they were stealth bombers. Well, he finds out that he can follow them through air turbulence. And for the second time in the movie, he blows up an airplane midair. Yes. Not not bad. (laughs) This guy's an evil genius, to be honest with you. Yes. Bit of an evil genius. So let's go into the final scene of the movie as the bombers approach and the train has been set on a collision course with a train full of gasoline. There's 300,000 gallons of gasoline on that train. That's, what that's a quite a coincidence, that is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's see, where's uh, Casey and Bobby make one last effort to save the hostages. Now that Travis has learned to blow up planes... He takes out the second of the two bombers. Yes. Casey picks through the bad guys, uncouples the car with the passengers on board, and has his final fight with Marcus Penn. Kicking his ass in the kitchen, where Casey does his best cooking, saving Sarah in the process while saying, nobody beats me in the kitchen. That's one of the taglines from a Steven Seagal movie that we're not taking with us into the rest of our lives. You are correct. You are correct. We we are not. We are not. Good fight scene between him and Penn. Fantastic. On, on such fight close scene. Co- close quarters. Although yeah. he does get the he does get the Peter Green treatment when he just chokes him out and breaks his neck. He does, but I mean, Penn got a couple of good licks in himself. 
He did, and then got a face full of um, face full of flour. He got a face full of flour. He got um, he had his arm. It was it was it was at a funny angle. Um, after after Ryback was holding on to it, yeah, and it made a lot of noise. <laughs> that's where that's the scene where he's, he stops for a second after he throws him, adjusts his girdle, and that causes his arms to be perfectly straight as he yes. walks towards him in this kind of march. Meanwhile, Sarah's breaking, holding like a the, hand grenade. Yeah, yeah, that was a little odd there. Just here, hold this. Yeah, and he was kind of creepy to her, like seventeen-year-old girl. Was he was creepy. Yeah, she so, was sixteen at the time. Yeah, so he kind of deserves to get his ass kicked for that. He did. Uh, then Casey meets up with Travis, who's about to escape on a helicopter, and Casey shoots Travis in the laptop just before the trains collide in an ex- in a spectacular explosion. Casey makes a spectacular run through the train. To get on the helicopter, the good guys get away before blowing everything up. The movie ends with Sarah and Casey visiting his brother's grave to say goodbye. They did. They did. The end. And the end. Broken bones, explosions, dead guys, um, and guns. Irrelevant plot and a cool <laughs> bad guy. There's nothing wrong with that because that's why I pay to watch Steven Seagal. Yes. Just not nowadays because his movies are so terrible. They're dubbed. He somehow developed a Southern accent or a Russian accent in any of the rest of his movies. I don't think he's filming everything in Russia now or something. I don't, I don't even know what's going on with him. No, I and mean, he's, he, you know, it's all stuntmen for him now because he's in his seventies. So uh, but a good time, yeah. honestly, was had um, during a lot of his movies from the late '80s to the late '90s. Let's say a good a good time a good time was had. I think the, I think I mean even after this one, he went he did um, executive decision, and I think maybe one after executive decision, and then it was goodbye, Steve. Yeah. His career kind of took a downturn. But then again, movies changed, right? It wasn't about the martial arts guys, the Schwarzeneggers, the Van Dams, the Dolph Lundgrens. It wasn't about them anymore. No, no. Then you had to go to the thinking man. Yes, exactly. But that's the growth and progression of movies. What can you do about it? And and the great thing about movies, and this is why we have this podcast, is because we can always go back and revisit them, which is awesome. We can. We can. All right, Brad, it's time for us to bring out the scale. What does the scale have to do with movies? Funny you should ask. It's it's time to see how the movie weighed up to the original. Did it hold its own weight? Did it stand up? Get it, Brad? I I get it. (laughs) We're going to do a skating. You might might need a girdle for this one to hold in the weight. Everybody get on your girdle. We're going to be weighing this movie. Um, Movie points are movie pounds from one to a hundred. Let's do under siege the original first what was your oh what right. was your original under siege score in movie pounds one to a hundred oh, what do you pick you know what um the original under siege um immensely rewatchable and i'm i'm going for i'm gonna go 
I'm 80. 80 for the original. 80. Okay. That's I, I honestly, I gotta, I gotta say, knowing that you and I have seen thousands of movies together, I thought you would give that a higher rating to be honest. Well, I mean, anything above 80 for me is like Godfather part yeah. two and Godfather part one caliber. Yeah. You're a tough marker, man. Do you do that to your I students? I, I, I do. <laughs> okay. Now, what do you give under siege to dark territory? I'll tell you. Two days ago, I gave it 50. Okay. What are you giving it? Yesterday. Yeah. Because I actually watched it again. Yeah. And yes, we, you know, get old and our taste change over time. There was more Steven Seagal kick-assery going on than I remember. And I'm going to give this one 70. 70? Yep. Wow. That's very close to each other. Because it was surprising. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to give the original a, a lot higher than an 80. I got wow. I got to admit. The original for me was was a blockbuster and you know, a blockbuster movie. It really was. Like it was action-packed, great a great actors, not necessarily great acting. But I loved all the actors in it. It was uh, it was kind of an innovative movie at the time. Uh, we hadn't really seen any kind of movies like that. We had seen the theme, you know, bad guy gets, you know, fixes bad situation or good guy fixes bad situation with a bunch of bad guys. I'm going to give Under Siege, I'm going to give it a 95. Wow. Yeah, I'm giving it a 95. Now wow. for the for the sequel, again, I watched it a couple of days ago. And now, you know, before you watched it a movie, couple of days ago, what would you have given it? I would have probably given it not as much as the original movie. No. I probably would have given it. I probably would have given it like a sixty. Okay. And after rewatching it, I'm going to give it a 75. Good. Which is pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Between our two scores for the sequels, uh, that's an average of 72.5. That actually puts us at the top of the list above Young Guns 2. That's good. Which had an average of 57.5. That's good. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. I think it deserves it. Is there anything before we wrap up the show? Is there anything you want to add about your thoughts about this sequel? Um, no, not really. It was it was Steven Seagal kickassery, and that's what I went in expecting, and it's it's what I got. Nothing disappointing. Nothing that's going to blow your mind. You knew what you were getting when you walked into it, and you come out of it. You know, always the good, the good guy always wins at the end anyway. So let's just ignore that. I mean, if, if anything, upon rewatching it, I enjoyed it more than I thought I had. Really? Yeah. And you were very close in your original score for the original versus your score for the sequel. Right. Not too bad. Not too bad. Not too bad. Well, as we wrap up this episode, I want to thank everybody for listening. 
We've got lots of great episodes coming up. Brad, what are we doing next week on the show? I don't know. Do you know? And I don't know why, why this is been, this is playing in my head for weeks now, Okay, but I want, I want to do Jurassic Park three. Okay. Good choice. This will be our first foray, foray into a part, three. A, a, a part three, like not a direct sequel, because this is a major franchise. Uh, I still remember we, when we went to see Jurassic Park three, I believe it was. It was either two or three. We saw it at like four o'clock in the morning when we came out of the theater. It was <laughs> light out because that was the only time we could get tickets and we had to drive to the other side of the city. But yes, yeah, so everyone join us next week. Uh, when we cover the what year was Jurassic Park 3 that was I have no idea I have no idea we'll stick with us next week everyone for Jurassic Park 3 and thank you again for joining us don't forget to follow us on our socials Instagram Facebook Uh, we should have a website up pretty soon and we're going to have a Patreon account as well so you can join our Patreon and get lots of extra goodies Uh, with a a Patreon membership. Brad, thank you very much for joining me this week. It was a pleasure. Of course it was. (laughs) Anything else to add before? Thanks for being being there. (laughs) We'll get our goodbyes figured out eventually. (laughs) For now, I would just say goodbye. Goodbye. We're out for now.